suppose it's a harsh reminder of the fallenness of this world, our, our sinfulness, that when people come and proclaim a message of love and acceptance and uh, inclusivity, uh, people like Jesus, they get crucified for it. People like Martin Luther King, and there are plenty of others along the way too. Uh, tomorrow we celebrate in this country the birthday of Martin Luther King, and today as a church we want to uh, focus in on uh, his message and what he brought, because his message was centered in Jesus Christ, and that message is the message that we proclaim still to this day as Christians. On the eve of his uh, murder, the day before he was killed in Memphis, he gave this famous speech called the Mountaintop Speech, and he said, at the end of the speech, these are his last public words that Martin Luther King ever spoke. It was almost, um, well, it's not like it was this new information to him. For the last decade or so of his life, he'd been enduring threats uh, that had only escalated over the last five years or so because he was proclaiming this message of love. He was proclaiming this message of walls coming down and, and, and this message of that we are all one. And he got that message from his Christian upbringing because somebody was church for him, he was able to be church for others. He said at the end of this speech, I just want to do God's will. I just want to do God's will. He's allowed me to go to the mountain. He's an allusion to to Moses on the mountaintop in the Old Testament where he can see the promised land, but he doesn't get to go. He doesn't get there. He gets a glimpse of this vision, this dream that God has fulfilled for his people, but Moses, the leader of this movement, isn't going to get there. And King is tapping into that. He's sensing that something like that's about to happen to him. He's allowed me to go to the mountain, God has, and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. The night before he's killed, one of the last things he says publicly is, I'm not afraid. I'm not fearing any man. I'm not worried about anything. And then the last sentence he ever utters publicly is scripture from the book of Revelation. This vision of the future, the dream that he had years before the famous I have a dream speech. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I've got a glimpse of it. I may not get there with you. I may not be there when, when this dream that God has given to me is realized. But I've seen it. Mine eyes have seen a glimpse of this vision, this dream that God has given to us, the glory of the coming of the Lord. And you might think that's a bit of a stretch, that he's, he's contextualizing verses from Scripture that really don't have anything to do with the 1960s civil rights movement in this country, but I would, I would suggest to you that you're, you're incorrect about that, that actually he was being very faithful to the, not just to this verse, but to the totality of biblical teaching. And, and to that end, I want to kind of take you on a quick survey through some Bible verses and show you what a massive theme this is in the Bible, this theme of harmony, this theme of, uh, of unity between people of different races and ethnicities and, and cultural backgrounds and economic statuses and, and people who come from different walks of life, that biblically speaking, it's no small thing. I mean, it's no small thing. It's a major theme. You can't read the Bible for very long without tripping over this theme. It'll jump off the page and challenge you. 
even if you're not comfortable with it. Maybe particularly if you're not comfortable with it, it'll challenge you all the more. Let, let me give you an example. I, I could... I truly could stand up here for hours and hours and hours and take you through all the things the Bible says about this. I've boiled it down to my top 10 list with a nod to David Letterman, once upon a time. Here are the top 10 uh, verses on Christian harmony between races and ethnicities in the Bible. Let's read this together. I want to hear you in Ankeny and Johnston Grimes and Waukee and and in Des Moines and at our local sites in Ames and Forest City. I want to hear you who are watching online. I'm hearing things. Uh, this, we have a packed house here. I'm not quite sure how that works because a lot of you are representing half a family today. Uh, the other half of your family is homesick. I'm hearing it's going around. Our usher crew here at West Des Moines, we're down seven people on our crew. So praise God for all of you who jumped in and weren't assigned today and are helping out with everything. You can clap for them. Sure, that's fine. So... What I think that means is more people are watching online than usual. Uh, so just remember the camera adds 10 pounds and let's dig into um, these verses. So wherever you are, read these verses out loud together as one church. Let's go. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. It doesn't matter. Everyone say that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. Jews and Gentiles back in biblical times had deep prejudice toward one another, something Jesus fought against by his actions and his words. But by giving the time of day, by getting into conversations with people who weren't Jewish like he was, and Gentiles are everybody else, there were deep divisions between them. That's what the world does. Jews over here, Gentiles over there. Black people over here, Latinos over there, people of a certain European descent over here, people of another European descent over there, uh, South Americans over here, people from India over there, and on and on the list goes. It, stay, to your, stay to your own kind, whatever that means, as if we weren't all part of the same human race. The Bible, you don't have a problem with me on this, you have a problem with the Bible. The Bible says it doesn't matter. The Bible says it doesn't matter. I, I know logically some people think, well, world, from a worldly perspective, you know, there, there, is some, there is some thinking to that, and we probably should pursue that. It, it doesn't matter. At some point along the way, we have to settle the issue of lordship in our lives. Who gets to be lord for you? Who gets to call the shots for you? Who, who gives you your values? Who influences them? Who sets your course? Who sets your direction? Your, your family, your parents, your friends, your classmates, your coworkers, your crazy uncle? Who, who tells you how it is in the world? Who gives you your world? Who's your, who are the influencers on your biblical view? Somebody who tweets something? Somebody who writes a blog? Somebody who posts something on Facebook? Really? That's as deep as it goes for you? That sums up your whole worldview? I would encourage and invite all of us, myself included, to settle that issue of lordship, to decide who gets to be the lord of our lives, who gets to tell us how we see the world, how we see people who don't look like us, or, or have different skin color, or ethnicity, or, or economic status, or from a different neighborhood, or don't dress like us, or don't you know, cheer for the same teams as we do, and on and on the list goes. It doesn't matter. And that's just the first of 10 verses. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're just getting warmed up. Here we go. You don't have to say that. Number two, next one, let's read this together. 
There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The world emphasizes the separations, the divisions. Jesus Christ says, no, you're all one. There is no longer these distinctions, not in Christ. We're all one and the same. Third of the 10, let's read this together. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. Next screen, I hope you're picking up on the theme. Altogether, if you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin. Next screen. Together, some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we have all been baptized into the one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. How many? One. One. If you're getting it, say, got it. Get it? I'm not convinced. Let's keep going. There's more. Let's read this together. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. Ephesians 4, number 7. Let's read this. I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. Acts 10, next screen from John 17. Jesus, our Lord looks out at the world that is divided in so many different ways, and he has an I have a dream moment. This is right before he's crucified. In the garden at Gethsemane, he prays to his Father in heaven, and this is the dream, this is the vision. Let's read it together. I pray that they will all be, all of us, who follow Jesus Christ, that we would be one. Next screen. From Colossians 3, let's read this together. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us all together perfect harmony. It's not that we all sing the same note. Some of you are, uh, you know, traditional Lutheran, Scandinavian, Stoic. When we sing the songs at the beginning of the service, if your knee moves a little, that you go home and apologize for it. You say, sorry, I was so expressive in worship today. I really let myself go. Whew, the knee moved. There it goes again. Boom, it's all over the place. Others of you are on the other end of this spectrum where it's hands in the air and clapping and dancing in the aisles. It's, that's because who you are. The goal isn't that we'd all conform. One of the things I love about this church is the diversity. The harmony that God brings together only because our voices are so diverse. Ask any good choir conductor, they'll say, I don't want everyone in the choir to sing the same note. I want everybody to sing the note that they've been given and sing it with all their heart and blend it together with the people around them. And that's what makes the symphony beautiful. That's what makes the song sing. Isn't that we're all the same, it's that God weaves us together as one. And so instead of pretending that the goal is that we'd all conform and be the same thing, it's to start to celebrate each other's differences and distinctions, and, and, and ethnic customs, and, and all the different things that God does when he brings us together as one. Clothe yourselves in love. Above all, that love binds us all together in perfect harmony. Harmony. <laughs> I, I want to do more than preach this. I want you to experience it. So whatever campus you're at right now, I want you to find somebody in the room you're in right now, where, wherever you are, Ankeny, Des Moines, Johnston Grimes, Waukee, here in West Des Moines. If you're able, I want you to stand up 
I know it's going to be like, really? Yes, really. I want you to stand up, find somebody in the room who isn't of your generation, who doesn't look like you, who doesn't have, uh, uh, you know, have a beard like you do maybe, and I'm talking about the women. Uh, just a little joke. Find somebody who isn't you. It won't be hard around here. Get up and look them in the eye and mean it and say, I am so glad we get to be church together. Thank you for being here today. Go ahead and do that. Find somebody who doesn't look like you. Enjoy. Be the sermon. Live it out. Not your generation. Not your age. Not your fashion. Not your skin color. Not your ethnicity. Somebody who's different from you. Tell them you're glad they're here. How good it is we get to be church together. <laughs> wow. Hugs and smiles and laughter all over, breaking out in a Lutheran church. You can be seated, it's fine. That's enough friendliness for one sermon. Wow. Joy. How many of you are happier to be here right now than you were a minute and a half ago? Just because of what just happened. That's the power of the Holy Spirit making us one. That's why we don't do church privately and individually. We're better together. That's what this year is all about, to know and to be known to discover what it means to be what the Bible says over and over and over again. Perfect harmony. In fact, the Bible gives this vision in the book of Revelation, this vision, this glimpse of heaven. Let's read this last one, this 10th verse together. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne. It's a glimpse of heaven. It's where, by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, we have the assurance that we're heading. It's where our story ends as followers of Jesus Christ. And when we get there, here's what we're going to see. The Bible says, not crazy Uncle Louie, the Bible. People from every nation, every tribe, every people, and every language will be there. So. If you have some challenges, a temptation to give in to the prejudice that you've learned, you weren't born with that. Nobody's born with prejudice. We learn it. Somebody teaches it to us along the way. If you have challenges or attempted to embrace prejudice toward anybody else, any other group of people, it probably would be good for you as a Christian to get used to it to knock those walls down, to get used to being in a very diverse crowd because you're going to be in that kind of diversity for eternity. In the kingdom of heaven, apparently, according to the Bible, that's our source, there aren't all these different factions and groups. I mean, we know Lutherans are going to be in the penthouse of heaven and then there's everybody else. <laughs> Kidding. Totally. Some of you, at 11, that goes over just not at all because some of you are like, wait a minute, I'm not Lutheran. It's okay, you'll get in. You can come visit in the penthouse once in a while. You know, I don't mean that at all. We're all one. We're all one, and just getting in will be the most satisfying moment of your life. It'll be forever. It'll be eternity. This is the biblical picture of who we are. 
And this side of heaven, the church is called to be that now, to experience these glimpses of heaven now, to find the the harmony in the world around you, not just find people who sing your note, how boring, but to find people you can sing harmony with, to find a church that you can harmoniously reach out together with to the world around us and share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. Above all, the Bible says, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in this perfect Harmony, this beautiful, sweet music that God wants to make through you. So let me ask you, who was church for you like this once upon a time? Who welcomed you into God's house, into God's family? And the second part of that question is, after you give God thanks in your spirit for that person or those people, who are you being church for? Who are you bringing the light of God's love to in the way Martin Luther King did, in the way Dietrich Bonhoeffer did, who I introduced you to last week? This great, faithful German Lutheran pastor where King stood up to the oppressiveness of racism and prejudice in the 1960s civil rights movement. Bonhoeffer stood up against the Third Reich. Hitler's Nazi regime, which was trying to exterminate Jews and had this false, ridiculous, non-biblical claim that somehow the Aryan race was superior to everybody else and so that everybody else needed to be exterminated and removed so that the Aryans could thrive. Bonhoeffer said no, even though, here's the sad part of this story, Hitler was so manipulative, powerful governments can do this if we aren't careful. Which is why in this church, we keep arms distance from political issues until it's time to stand up for justice. And then we speak that word boldly and without hesitation. But when the church becomes a pawn for a political movement, we lose our prophetic voice. We lose our place and our position in the world. With all due respect, we lose the greater power that God has given to us to proclaim the light of his love, regardless of what is popular, regardless of the opinion of the day, or regardless of, of what government comes to power or doesn't. We stay consistent, and we stay centered in Jesus Christ and his love. Bonhoeffer said this in so many different ways. Amongst his great writings, he wrote, being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than it is about courageously and actively doing God's will. It's one thing to think about our faith. It's another thing to live it out. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It says it in the Old Testament, in the prophets, and then it's repeated again in the book of Romans. How beautiful the feet of those who bring the good news of Jesus Christ. What are your feet doing for the kingdom of God these days? Who are you being church for? Who are you reflecting the light of God's love to these days? Because when we start to acknowledge that biblically, and all those verses that point us to it, that to be the church doesn't just mean to figure out Jesus loves me, this I know, and I get that all down, and that's all I need. It is to be the church for the world around us individually and collectively as a whole. So as a church, we, we, we go out and we say, what can we do together? And then what can you do individually in your schools and in your offices and in your places of work and in your neighborhoods, wherever it is you go and in your families and in your day-to-day relationships and when you're on social media, are you reflecting the light of Jesus Christ? Are you being church for anybody? Or is it all about you? Which is why your soul is so unsatisfied. Because you've turned Christianity into something that you just want to take for yourself. 
When God says, it is to bless you, but then it's to pour out of you, who are you being church for? Because our stories start to all weave together, and it not only blesses us, but it blesses the world around us. During the season of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, our missions team got together, and all of our campuses, we decided we're going to do this major outreach effort. We're going to do a fundraiser for Wildwood Hills Ranch, which serves at-risk youth by bringing Jesus Christ and God's love to them. A a ranch just south of here, about 45 minutes, in St. Charles, Iowa. Well, we got the word out, and your giving was phenomenal and very generous. We set a goal that we'd be able to build two cabins. I mean, that's kind of a big stretch. That one church would build two cabins to completion, would raise the funds for that, So Christmas came and we reached our goal. We're like, yay, that's awesome. We got enough money for two cabins. And then Christmas passed and you kept giving. We told you it was over. (laughs) We announced the final gift. And you just kept giving. Last week we said, okay, that's it. You doubled the goal. Woo, that's it. And you just kept giving. Stop it. They don't have room anymore for more. You're going to build like eight cabins at Wildwood Hills Ranch because that's the kind of church you are. It's not, Christianity isn't just turning it into some sort of moral play. It's where judgmentalism, you know, it just starts to thrive and self-righteousness because you look at other people and you say, well, my Christianity teaches me that you shouldn't do what they're doing and so that makes me feel superior to them. So here's me and here's them and here's God and I'm real close to God and they're way down here because of their behavior. We're all living in God's grace. We're all in deep need of God's forgiveness and his grace. All of us, every single one of us have sinned and fallen short. We all need God's grace just the same. We all need it to stand right before a holy God. And so Bonhoeffer rightly points out, it isn't just about avoiding sin. That isn't the whole story of Christianity. It's certainly not the whole story of the Bible. It's about courageously and actively living out the calling that God has given to you in your life, doing God's will. Who are you church for? Who are you reflecting the light of God's love to these days? Who who, who are you working on? Who are you bringing it to? Who are you loving like that? When we do that, it starts to change everything. Last week at the baptisms, I'm, I'm standing up there, and I don't know if it was just my line or God getting me ready for this sermon this weekend on harmony and diversity, but my line, one out of every three different people who would come up, And we had over 700 people baptized at all of our campuses. Over 700 people answered the call. 200 of them were the first time, and most of those were adults. It's not us. It's what God is doing here. And we just get to hang out and get front row seats. Well, I had a front row seat last week. People came up, and I'm moved to tears. People coming up telling me their short story of, here's why I'm here. Here's why I'm getting baptized. And one out of every three people in my line, and I'm, that's a conservative estimate, were not Norwegian. 
I mean, persons of color, people from India and, 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 or other a Asian countries or African descent or Latino or, 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 or whatever it might be. And I'm just blown away by that. And I say, thank you, God. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And we're starting to feel it and experience it more and more all the time. Our one church effort with Elam Christian Fellowship. Last Tuesday night, I'm there for our third gathering. This is the third of, people say, well, after the fourth one, are we done? This is the third of like, the rest of our lives together with these folks. We're committed. We're not pulling out. We're, we're diving in all the more. So I'm there and I break into small groups and just randomly we get into small groups as the Lord would have it. I sit down and it's myself and three African-American pastors and one very cool dude from Hope. And our spouses are there too. The bond was amazing, the harmony. And we found that harmony not in the way that we were all the same or that we all had the same backgrounds. We had very different backgrounds. We found that harmony in Jesus Christ and his word. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And part of our walk this year is to embrace that all the more. This isn't new for us at Hope. This is just renewed and deeper. This is the call of God on our lives. When Bonhoeffer did what Bonhoeffer did and stood against Hitler, he did so because he was inspired by the church. He didn't just do Christianity in a vacuum and all of a sudden rise up and become this great leader. When Martin Luther King did it, same thing. Somebody was church for him. Somebody was church for Bonhoeffer. And in Bonhoeffer's case, much to the surprise of many people who don't know his history or his story, it was uh, an African-American church in New York City that moved his faith from head to feet. He became the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. The similarities between the lives of Bonhoeffer and King are almost eerie. They're both child prodigies, early grads. King graduated from high school when he was 15. Bonhoeffer earned his doctorate in theology when he was 21. Do you remember what you were doing when you were 21? Or if you're not there yet, what you will be doing? Will you have a doctorate in theology by then? Incredible. When you were 15, had you graduated from high school? <laughs> this is West Des Moines, like nine of you. Yes, I did, actually. That was me. <laughs> I get it. I understand. Awesome. <laughs> They're early grads. They both had their doctorates in theology, both King and Bonhoeffer, active ordained Christian pastors who led congregations. They both wrote extensively on the theme of activating their faith, of living it out, not just thinking about it, even though as doctorates in theology, they could have just become seminary professors. Nothing wrong with that if that's your calling, but their calling was something other. And they were inspired to live that out because somebody was church for them. Both of them ministered in times of great oppression and made the world a better place, not just you know a few people around them, but the whole world. Both drawn into major leadership roles of protest movements as young adults, they didn't campaign for them, they were drafted into them. Both became leaders, kind of reluctantly, to these movements that stood against oppression while they were in their 20s as young adults. They both endured numerous threats on their lives and imprisonment. They both wrote key works from prison which are still studied on the highest levels of academia today. And this part is almost eerie. They were both killed at the same age. 39-year-old young men, both in April, one on April 5th and the other on April 9th, in the 40th year of their life, cut short. Why? Because they were proclaiming a message of love 
to a world that would rather divide up and hate. And when the world has enough of that on a broad and public enough scale, the world shuts it up. And the world walks away and says, I don't want any part of that. At some point along the way, we have to settle the issue of lordship and decide who gets to lead us and guide us in our lives, who we trust to be the Lord of our lives, not just who we want, but who do we trust? When we turn to God's word, it changes everything. Bonhoeffer would write the most famous book he ever wrote called The Cost of Discipleship. It always will cost us something, but what else is there to do? Both Bonhoeffer and Luther had defining moments in their life when they could have run away and hid from the oppression and from the threats, but both of them embraced it. King, because he started to pray in his kitchen one day after he'd been threatened in Birmingham, saying, get out of the house or we'll destroy the house and everybody in it in three days. It's a moment of truth for him. He ultimately decided to stay because he started to pray. And the prophets came to mind. People who were called to reflect the light of God's love even when it wasn't popular. While so many other German pastors were lining up with Hitler, Bonhoeffer resisted. He said, I won't do it. Because what he's teaching and proclaiming doesn't align with scripture. We have to settle the issue of lordship. We have to decide if we're going to let worldly powers become our God or if we're going to let God be our God. Bonhoeffer stood against it. And so he brought the light of God's love to people when they needed it the most. Whether it's popular or unpopular, here in this country, we're free. We have the freedom to, to, to worship today. We have the pre freedom to proclaim Jesus' name without editing. Nobody in the government's going to tell me I can't say this today about Jesus Christ. And I thank God for that. But in this country, we also are continuing to march toward the fulfillment and the realization of King's dream. Because it hasn't happened yet. Clearly in the last year in this country, there's incident after incident and story after story of conflict that is racially motivated. We've got a lot of healing to do and harmonizing to do. And if the church doesn't lead the way, folks, I don't know who will. Part of what we're doing here in Des Moines isn't as a reaction to that. Part of what we're doing here in Des Moines is preventive maintenance for that. So that Des Moines doesn't become the next uh, uh, city that, that people know by name because of its racially charged incidents. But if it ever does happen in Des Moines, we'll already have relationships with people across ethnic and racial lines within the church because we're actively reaching out together, building trust and relationships with one another. Ellie and Luis are here uh, to help me preach the rest of this sermon. A black woman, a white guy, and a Latino man walk into a church and they start to preach a sermon together. And the, the, what they bring to us, uh, not, it just blesses us in a, in a massive way uh, on so many different levels. But I want you to get underneath their stories a little bit. And so everyone say, hello, Ellie. Hi. Ellie Clay is our intern pastor at Hope. And everyone say, hello, Luis. Hello. Luis Arredondo is our multicultural ministries leader here at Hope. I want you to hear a little bit more about their stories which will tell you um, just how important it is that once upon a time for Ellie and once upon a time for Luis, somebody was church for them. Somebody was church for them in a way that changed their lives dramatically and radically and brought them to the point where we're preaching together now. Somebody did that for me too once upon a time. But today I want you to hear their stories. Ellie, uh, you found yourself of all places in Decorah, Iowa as a college student truly all by yourself. What happened? All by myself. I was 
born and raised in, in the West Indies, uh, from Trinidad, and my dad was from Barbados. And um, my dad was an interesting personality. He, he followed God's call to him to move from point A to point B, and point B was Anguilla. Tiny island, very tiny, 35 square miles, could fit into the country I was born in se several times. But there was a reason for that, because that's where I met a Lutheran family who changed my life forever. Vince and Verla Williams and their family saved for two years to go anywhere God would send them to serve. Dad was, is a dentist, retired dentist, and uh, wanted his family at that time to know what it's like to live somewhere else. They were from Decorah, and he wanted them to experience what other people experience who don't live in Decorah. They ended up in Anguilla, and because they were there at about the time that, that my mom and brother and I moved to Anguilla, we connected. This was not intentional, it, it was almost accidental, except there are no accidents where God is concerned. When they went back to the States, they spoke at their church and several other churches that helped them uh, make this nine-week uh, mission trip. And at one of the churches, they met President Farwell, Elwin D. Farwell. He wanted to be church to someone as a president of that college, because that's the only way I can express it, and I thank Pastor Mike for giving me that term. He asked them, did you meet anyone who might be able to come to college? We'll, we'll offer them a four-year tuition scholarship. And they said, of all things, they said, me. I don't know why, they didn't ask me, they didn't ask my parents, they just said, oh, we met that young lady, and we think, we think she'll be the one. So Dr. Farwell did his part. He and his family, uh, they put a stake in the ground. They would house me for the first year. The Williams, unbeknownst to me, decided that they would do that later on. I ended up living with them for two years of the time that I was at college. And in the meantime, because I was so homesick, I stayed in the dorm, and that was a whole other experience. I was completely cut off from my family in terms of, of regular connection. So the only way I would hear from or, or, or have any kind of contact with my family really was via letters. They had no telephone service on that particular island. And it was very traumatic for me, very traumatic, because people would ask me all kinds of questions that I couldn't answer. I didn't know that I had to fit into a category. That was unbelievable to me. I grew up with Chinese across, uh, across the street, Creole, Indian, uh, lots of nationalities in Trinidad, Spanish, we had Greek, we had Syrian, we had Lebanese, we had all kinds of people there. That was my world. Decor was not quite like that. <laughs> And I, I was amazed, however, because there is a, a reference in the Bible that states God puts the solitary in families. And I could not have chosen the Williams. They were so much like my family. Dad like my dad, mom like my mom. It was unbelievable. So when I had trauma, that's who I went to. And it wasn't that they knew all the answers. Many times they would tell me, I don't know. But I, w I was welcomed into their family. That was my home. The second day after I arrived in Decorah, I went outside with their youngest. 
um, held a glass jar. She was putting bugs into it. And so we had a grand time. For her, this was a, this was a new sister in her mind. She later told me that. And um, I could hold the bug jar. But someone saw me and asked my mom, well, did you, did you hire a new servant? And I don't know what got into mom, but she said, no, that's our college daughter. And that stuck. For me then, that was her way of saying, you are family, and that's the end of it. And so I totally loved having them claim me like that, and that mattered. Because of them, I went from Decorah back to the islands and heard this unusual thing, well, you weren't born and raised here, so we can't hire you. Well, God had a plan in that too. Because of that, I went to Puerto Rico, spent f several years there, and from Puerto Rico to Texas, and from Texas, well, wherever, everywhere. And it still amazes me. I, this is not even half the story because I left out Russia and Switzerland, so they should be over there somewhere. I don't know. Oh, and, and uh, Nigeria and, and Zimbabwe. Well, Des Moines. <laughs> I forgot Des Moines. And here I am. But it's all because God knows that we belong together. I think it's interesting that Pastor, Pastor Mike had that book cover race on, on one of his slides. The rest of that title is Race, Are We So Different? My college parents, unbeknownst to me, did the same thing I did. We had our genomes tracked. They discovered that their genomes started in East Africa where mine started. I discovered that I'm 2% Scandinavian. So they decided I'm Norwegian. See how that works? Yes. Yeah, he might be my brother somewhere along the way. But isn't that beautiful? But it's also scary because you don't know what exciting thing God has to tell you and you won't find out unless you reach out and say, I'm here, I'm part of Christ's body and so are you, no questions asked. Praise God for you, Ellie. Awesome. Yeah. Someone, someone was church for you, and it put your life on a whole different trajectory. Yes. When you were at your loneliest, uh, somebody showed up just because it's who they are, their church. And they lived it out, and they, they uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who brought you good news. And now here you are, one of the great leaders at Hope, and you are blessing others with the ministries that you lead here. And we're so glad that you're here. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, yeah, one more time for Ellie. That's great. Luis, your, uh, your story has some similarities to Ellie's yep. because mm -hmm. at a time when you needed it most, when you were a rambunctious, rebellious teenager, uh, God got a hold of you because he sent a family and some others in right. your path mm -hmm. to be church for you too. So... Tell us the yes. rest of your story on that. If regard. you don't mind, I'm going to get up because I may dance in my seat. You don't want that. Uh, and I have a PowerPoint over here. So my name is Luis. Um, I'm going to focus my life a little bit in my teenage years, like Pastor Mike said, about 19. Um, I don't know who found that picture, but <laughs> it's funny. Anyway, so uh, picture myself about five years ago when I was 19. Just kidding. Um, in my first apartment, I got kicked out of my parents' house at 17. When I was 19, I had my first apartment, and I remember sitting there thinking, God, um, I started doubting that I was loved, that I was accepted, that I belong. I was in a new country, different language, by myself, and I started thinking back about all the things that made me doubt. 
and I'm going to tell you a little bit of my, my dynamics, family dynamics. So I grew up with my grandmother since I was a month old because my parents were involved in politics. They, they, they were fleeing uh, the government. So they had, uh, at one month, I had, to, I had to live with my grandmother. And when I was 12, 13, they brought me, my dad and stepmother brought me to, to their home. Um, it was great. I loved living with my grandmother. Imagine living with your grandmother. You can eat ice cream all the time. Well, we don't have ice cream, but I could basically go play soccer outside all, the whole time. So I was the youngest, about 10 uncles and aunts that lived in the house. And uh, I moved from there to my dad and my stepmother's house where I was the oldest. So I had to do the dishes, uh, cut the yard and all that stuff, which is not bad by itself, but my relationship with my dad basically consisted on him telling me what to do all the time um, and cleaning stuff and, all, and all, that thing, all those things. And he also was very... Uh, critical of me, and he was also very negative, thinking, telling me that I wasn't going to amount to anything, that I wasn't going to do anything with my life. And if you hear that constantly, it does affect you in, in, your, in your life. Not only, not only that, but also with my mother that lived at some point five miles away from me. She saw me. She, oh, picture time. Thank you. Production. Uh, this, actually, the picture before is uh, one of my few pictures that I had with my, fam with my siblings that they visited me. I'm, I'm the one in the front. You can't really tell, but I'm a little darker than the rest on the front. Um, then the next picture that I, that I was there was uh, one of those times that my mom visited me. We went to Walmart, and um, lo and behold, I loved G.I. Joe's, and I stuck that in the back of my shirt and stole it from Walmart, and I got caught. Uh, after that, my mom didn't, and my siblings didn't come and visit me very often because I think uh, they were just ashamed, maybe. I don't know. Um, so with my father being like that and my mom, I was sitting there in my, in my, in my desk thinking about all those things. And I grew up in, in a place in Mexico where I know it's, it's sin when you treat people differently because of the skin. But in Mexico, it's a reality that in, in growing up, you always see the light skinned persons in Mexico having the good jobs, uh, owning the companies, running the government, uh, being in places of authority. Um, and, and for example, you would never see a dark person dating a light-complected girl. There was, that just that didn't happen. I don't know if you can relate, but that's how, how I was raised. So when I was older and that, I knew that my parents had given me up. Uh, while I was sitting there after high school, my two older siblings were <clears throat> Basically, in Ivy League uh, schools in Mexico, and the best school in Mexico, the most expensive. They're also smart. That's our, and so I doubted, uh, God, is, am I even, am, who are my parents? I actually doubted that they were my parents, too. So all those thoughts came to my mind, and that's when the church stepped in. That's when I started seeing it, and I, I, I could tell you a thousand stories but this gentleman right here, uh, Coach Pena, was the one that, one of the first people that, that started telling me about Jesus and telling me a different story in my life, that God loved me and God had a purpose in my life. And he invited me to run cross country. And I was like, I don't, just run forever? I don't, why would I do that? <laughs> but because he loved me and he believed in me, I was like, all right, I'll, I'll go, but I can't get to the, to the meets. So I live in a different city too, so he would drive 45 minutes to come and get me and 45 minutes back before the meet and after the meet. And we were there by seven in the morning. So this was a guy that would really sacrifice his time to, to love me and to, and to welcome me. And in the cross country team, we, we read scripture and, and read the word and 
when I was kicked out of my parents' house, that was some of the guys in the team uh, let me stay in their house for weeks or uh, uh, for a while. So the next, the next slide is what happened then. This, I, I, I felt called to work in church, in the ministry, and I went back to Mexico to work in the church. And that's when, when all this stuff that was happening, when I was reflecting on my life and thinking, oh, this is... <laughs> I feel like Joseph to a stand to a degree that I felt like unloved, unwelcome, pushed aside. I, I found myself in this church serving, and uh, one of the stories living here is uh, I lived in a, in, a, in a room with no air conditioning and, and the second floor. And I don't know if you've been to Mexico besides Cancun. <laughs> I lived in the border, and the, we hit the, the record highs. We had 100-degree days. Uh, the record for consecutive 100-degree days, and I was on the second floor with no air conditioning. And I just remember, and people that are from not, not this country, you can relate probably. And I remember praying, God, send me to a colder place. <laughs> Be more specific, people. <laughs> send me to Hawaii, perhaps. Or send me to, like, you know, something nicer. Anyway, so that's what I pray for. And then this is when I met... Um, my family, my white family that I call. This is my first Christmas uh, picture here in Iowa with my, I don't know, can you tell who it's me? I'm the brown one in the front. So that's my, my family that uh, welcomed me and, and invited me here. And this is, for me, coming from where I come from and the experiences that I had to come into Iowa, what do you call it, the field of dreams, or what's it called? Field of dreams. Field of dreams. It was really, truly for me, field of dreams, because a family that really welcomed me in and loved me. And <clears throat> what, I, what I sense to tell you today is that maybe you're here today thinking the same things. God, does anybody love me? Does my family love me? I want to tell you that I get a glimpse of Jesus and saying, yes, I love you. And this is a great place to be here at Hope. There's great places where you can connect and get healing through, through our prayer ministry, through our, through our uh, care team, uh, Series 33. Uh, there's plenty of ways that you can get engaged and be part of a, of a family. I'm not asking you to go into the city and adopt somebody. I'm not asking you to do anything. What I'm asking you to do is just to pray, God, how can I be the hands and feet and be part of what you are doing in a broken city, in a broken world, where there's people like me, not, not very different than my story of broken families here in the city, where you can make a difference, very simple difference, but just loving them and first hearing what the needs are. So I just want to well, invite you to be, continue to be thinking um, as, we, as we go this year and this year, I love this year's uh, um, vision that Pastor Mike, that God gave to Pastor Mike is to know and to be known. And I think as we walk that and we leave that out in our, in our city, we're going to see amazing impact, amazing stories like mine and like Ellie's of, of lives that were changed, radically changed because of the love of this church, just like you. That's all. Thank you, Luis. God bless you, man. Thank you very much. We really are better together. Uh, as a church, we are so much stronger because of uh, 
the leadership and faithful ministry of Luis Sinelli and, and all of you. God did not bring us together on accident. We're here for a reason, to clothe ourselves with love, to sing our song in harmony with one another. Somewhere along the way, somebody was church for Ellie and her loneliness was turned around and now she's ministering to thousands. Somewhere along the way, uh, the brokenness that Luis felt as a teen was turned around because somebody was church for him. Somebody's been church for you or could be church for you right now. We're here for you. As Luis said, we love you and you're not here by accident. But it's not just about you receiving the love of God. It's about you sharing it. That's who we are. A one body in Jesus Christ. The beginning of the book of Acts, the birthday of the church story shows uh, that all these people from all these different nations came together. And they all spoke different languages. But something miraculous happened on that day, the birthday of the church. It wasn't all the things that we offer, the tongues of fire and all that, that's, that was there, but it was this too. People of all these different ethnicities and nations came together as one in Jesus Christ. So as we close today, I want you to watch this little one minute video that we showed a few years ago. It's all people from your Hope family who God has brought together as one and they represent the diversity that creates this beautiful harmony. Who has been church for you and more importantly, who are you going to be church for the rest of your life this side of heaven? Desconcertados y maravillados decían, no son todos Dreams are coming true, right in our midst. We are one in Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing. If you've got kids and hope kids, you can go get them now. Uh, the rest of us are going to stay and party a little bit uh, and sing. If you'd like prayer after the service, there are people available to pray for you on either side of the church. God bless you all. Thanks for coming.